welcome to MedTech Stories. I'm your host, Vishali. Our guest today is Vasi Hargreaves. She is the Senior Director of Commercial Marketing at Aaron Medical. Vasi landed her first MedTech job by posting her resume on Craigslist. She then pursued her MBA at Haas and has had a very successful career in both cardiovascular and ear, nose, and throat space. Tune in to hear Vasi's story on her unique path to MedTech, her views of working at a large company versus a startup, and what her skydiving adventures have taught her. Hi, Vasi. I'm super excited to have you on our podcast and get to know you better and, and share your stories with our audience. Thank you so much for having me, Vishali. Great. So I've given our audience a brief uh, background about you, but would love it if you could share in your own words a little bit about your professional and your personal stories. Sure. Well, currently I am at Aaron Medical, a company that's in the ear, nose and throat space or ENT. And it's a startup company that is focused on non-invasive procedures to address chronic nasal airway conditions. This is my second ENT company, and I just recently joined last year. Um, But currently, I'm serving as the Senior Director of Commercial Marketing there, and we have two products on the market. One is addressing uh, chronic nasal airway obstruction, or basically people who can't breathe properly through their nostrils that you can imagine can affect quality of sleep, exercise, mouth breathing, which has become kind of a a term, yeah, um, a negative term. So to what level is it like you you literally can't breathe at all from your nose? So it could be, there's a spectrum, so it could be mild to severe. And there's actually, we're developing a website right now with a little test. It's called the nose score test, um, which is a validated measure, but basically it's a nasal obstruction evaluation. And it, it has a series of questions to basically categorize you to see what sort of severity you have. Another way to test it, and since we're on Zoom together, um, <laughs> you, you can actually, if you place two fingers next to each side of your nose and pull out, it kind of opens up your airways and you take a breath just through your nose. And if that helps improve your breathing, then that may be an indication that you suffer from some sort of nasal airway obstruction. Interesting. That's fascinating. And it's uh, yeah. you know definitely something that really impacts your quality of life. I would imagine if you can't breathe through your nose and you constantly have to be like inhaling through your mouth. Absolutely. And it's so funny, just like with any company that you join and you learn more about the condition and suddenly you're seeing, you're, you're thinking that you have it yourself and everyone that you meet, you think has it. But honestly, with this condition, there are so many friends and neighbors that I've talked to and they say, oh my gosh, I need that. So, and the nice thing about the technology that Aaron Medical is developing is that it can be done through a simple in-office procedure um, under liberal anesthesia. So a lot of more more complicated procedures in the ENT space require going into surgery, you know, hospital or OR setting. So, So that's very appealing to patients. Yeah, that's amazing. It's I think a lot of procedures are maybe potentially starting to go into the office space as as medical device companies can make them more safe, more effective and and minimally invasive really. Absolutely. 
Awesome. So that's the, that's the one product that we have for nasal airway obstruction. The other one is more for the runny nose. So that <laughs> one is called Rhinair. It addresses chronic rhinitis, which has, uh, you know, there are 30 million people in the U.S. that suffer from non-allergic rhinitis or allergies. Um, and then there are 60 million who have allergic rhinitis. So symptoms for that could be, as I said, the chronic runny nose, but it also could be running down the back of your throat, the post-nasal drip, people that are constantly clearing their throats. So the way that uh, Rhinair addresses that is it actually goes and it calms down the nerve, an overactive nerve that contributes to that chronic runny nose. So tell me more about your personal life on, on the other end. <laughs> so on the personal side, I have two kids um, who are in elementary school and soon to be middle school, crazy enough, and a husband who works at Stanford University, also in the medical space. So, but he's an engineer and I went the marketing route. He's from Canada and I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> That's awesome. How did you guys meet? I'm curious. So we met through Stanford Connections. I had gone to Stanford undergrad and he went there for grad school and some mutual friends had organized a huge ski trip. Uh, I think it was, you know, a three level condo and we stuffed about 25 people into this <laughs> this rental. And so I was invited by a friend to, to go. I'm a big time skier. I, I did competitive skiing in high school and college. Um, and he happened to be a ski patrol. Wow. So it was, you know, out of the group that was there, we definitely were the ones that were kind of like tearing it up and trying to outdo each other on the hill. And so we met, uh, we met and had fun skiing on the hill, but then I noticed that he was, you know, after the dinner, he was like, there at the dishwasher loading the dishwasher. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy has it all. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he helps out. So, That's amazing. Um, yeah. So that was then soon after that, we had our first date. Perfect. You'd seen him in action. So you were like, okay, <laughs> this, this can possibly work. There you go. <laughs> nice. And so what inspired you to get involved in medtech? Was this kind of a you know childhood dream? How, how did you get involved in the, the space? Yeah, I'm so happy that I discovered medtech. I think it's a perfect balance between medicine and then creativity and bringing innovation to solve unmet needs. And so like a lot of your guests, I think I was pre-medical thinking that I was going to go to med school. I took the MCAT and did everything needed, all the advanced courses, which I actually did on purpose because I wanted to, sometimes we get so wrapped up in the, in the path, the career path, and this is the direction I have to go. So I wanted to get all of those requirements done and then take a step back and really truly think if this is something that was my passion because so many other people, especially at the time, wanted to become physicians. So am I taking a place of someone who this is their true passion? So I took a step back. I actually took a big step back and I accepted a position teaching English in China after university. And so I went to China and, and did that stint, had a great time with you know all the cultural experiences but when I came back, I had basically decided that, you know, I, I don't think that I'm ready to sign up for six, eight years of medical school right now. So what is next? I posted my resume on Craigslist. 
which <laughs> you never, ever do today. I mean, Craigslist, I don't even want to post a piece of furniture that I'm selling because you get so many crazy people responding. Um, but at the time, that was acceptable, I guess. So <laughs> I posted in my resume on Craigslist. And lo and behold, Adam Sharkawi, who is the VP of R&D at a very small cardiovascular startup called Ventrica, contacted me through Craigslist Wow! and invited me to go have coffee and discuss a startup role. And so I ended up being employee number eight at Ventrica as a clinical, preclinical research associate. And it was the coolest job ever. It was the perfect marriage between my scientific background, my interest in medicine, and the ability to be a part of a startup and work with the engineers and really see medical device innovation in action. And since then, I have never, ever done anything except for medical devices. That's amazing. Going from, you know, all the prereqs from med school, I think, like you said, similar to a lot of my guests and, and myself, yeah. China and and Craigslist. I, I think that's definitely the most unique way I've ever heard of anybody finding a job thus far. Well, thanks very much to Adam Sharkawi, who convinced me that this would be a great position and I've never looked back. That's amazing. So let's kind of walk down your like, I don't know, career paths. And, you know, as your career has progressed, like feel free to add in any of the personal life changes as well that have happened. So how was Ventrica and each of your you know roles there? And how was it working with engineering team? And kind of what stage was that company in at the time? So that company was a cardiovascular startup and it was the original device was supposed to create a shunt basically through through the coronary arteries to the the ventricle. So it was a direct systolic pressure. So it was it was uh, an amazing idea. We did a lot of different preclinical work. So that was my original job which I loved uh, flying up to Vancouver in British Columbia attending some of the preclinical surgeries there, partnering with a a cardiovascular surgeon who's the most amazing surgeon, but he was from China and he wasn't allowed to practice clinically. And so, so we would do these, the surgeries and test out the devices and then go have sushi lunch afterwards. And that was like the best job ever in my twenties, traveling up to Vancouver all the time. And then I would take the feedback to the R&D team. We would brainstorm together, come up with next iteration prototypes. So that was great. I was promoted to clinical research scientist and so did more benchtop research to make the, the device more biocompatible ultimately. So that was wonderful, but it also was a test of whether, you know, I really love the science path or if I wanted to do something different. What did you discover? <laughs> so, well, as you can, as you can <laughs> tell, I'm not a PhD scientist. I decided in observing the different roles of the company that marketing and their interactions with customers and the ability to really drive um, innovation in their own right was much more exciting to me than doing, you know, reiterating benchtop lab tests again and again and tweaking everything in the protocol. Unfortunately, I just didn't have the patience for that or the interest, even though I truly, as a scientist, I, I totally understand the value. So I decided to pursue an MBA and that's that's really how I transitioned over to the marketing side. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I think probably similar to you and, and a lot of people I did 
almost four years of undergrad research um, going to UC Davis. And I always thought, you know, innovation meant you were kind of in the lab and you were, you know, engineering things. And after doing a stem cell uh, experiment for over like 36 weeks, (laughs) I decided that that was it. I can't just you know, keep trying to look after these cells for, for so long. <laughs> and don't you have, you have the timer that goes off in the middle of the night and it doesn't matter what your personal schedule is because the cells are replicating. And <laughs> yep. yep. Weekends weren't weekends. You, you were going into the lab. You were, right. you were taking care of kids, i.e. your, your cells. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's good to test that out. I think that's an important part of, you know, career growth is you try different things and, and, some of them you may hate at the time, but you know you learn a lot from where that that actually is just as valuable as a, an amazing experience. Yeah, and I think one of the key things I actually learned from that was design of experiments and kind of the process of elimination and figuring out that you don't in any part of your life really want to change multiple variables at the same time and and kind of go through that process of elimination and and understand what each variable does. And I think that is a very applicable thing to all parts of life more than, not more, but equally (laughs) in science. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, variables could be if you're producing a new patient brochure, you know, and you're testing it out with a patient focus group, you don't want to change everything all at once in the design and the copy. So I totally agree with you that that's, Bringing that scientific rigor is is very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So you went to Haas, I believe, for your MBA, right? Yes. <clears throat> That's a little bit of a story, too, that goes back to my husband. So I had applied for schools all around the country, actually, for MBA and schools that had um, business and a healthcare kind of lean to their business degree. Aside from going to China for one year, I've been in the San Francisco Bay Area my whole life. So I thought it was a good chance to get out of the Bay Area and explore around, you know, East Coast or Midwest somewhere. But uh, that was when I met my husband. So I had actually applied and been accepted to Kellogg. So I was heading over to Chicago. I'd paid my deposit. (laughs) And then I met Brian and we hit it off so quickly. He was on his way potentially back up to Canada to move there. And I, so we both basically pulled back and decided that we were going to give the relationship a chance. And so I had to reapply to business schools the following year, but I'm really glad that I found Berkeley They have this really unique program. In two and a half years, you can do an MBA plus an MPH, which is the Master's of Public Health through their public um, health school. And so, you know, instead of business statistics, you take biostatistics. And and then you also get two summers of internships, which, as we know, the summer internship experience is actually one of the most valuable things, aside from the network um, at business school. So I was able to do that. That's awesome. And... Oh my gosh, the 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 feeling of uh, you know staying put in an area despite wanting to go somewhere, and and same with your husband is ironically something I went through when my husband and I met each other. I was in San Diego, he was in the Bay Area, and he was actually getting ready to go to New York, and I was you know debating if I really wanted to move up to the Bay Area and. After he decided to stay put, I was like, okay, I guess I'll move up here. It's serious. I mean, you can't get more serious than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. 
So you had an amazing experience with your MBA and MPH. And then how did you think about what your, you know, quote unquote, full-time job would be after? Were you thinking about startups again? Were you thinking about larger companies? So at that point, because I had not been on the business or the marketing side in medical device company, uh, I received some good advice from, from a previous mentor. And he said that you should really go for a larger company fresh out of business school so that you could really get the, the rigor, all the experiences, see how it's done at a big level before you consider going back to a startup company. So that's the path that I took in my summer internships, as well as my first role out of business school. But honestly, thinking back to it, I think you could go either way. I mean, that was that was good advice. And it did help me in my career. But I've also seen some people who go straight into a startup and do amazing and have a lot of growth in those areas. Yeah, for sure. And so you decided on Abbott, I think, right? Yes. So I did one summer internship at Boston Scientific Neurovascular, which is now Stryker. Mm. Had amazing experience there. Probably would have gone gone there if they had been actually able to hire a full time. So that was that was one summer internship experience. And the other was working at Blue Shield. So more on the the insurance side. And they had a strategic group where they were looking at new innovative programs. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to be on the more on the payer side, this sounds like the coolest spot to be. And plus it was in downtown San Francisco, which is great. But I really found that things were way more, much slower paced in on the payer side. So ultimately, you know, as I said, I, I really haven't strayed from the medical device area. So I ended up accepting an offer at Abbott Vascular. That's awesome. Was this around the same time as the guidance acquisition or was it a separate uh, company? That was right after. So I was officially Abbott Vascular, but what was interesting is that the building was still shared. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. (laughs) So so one side of the building was because of the the guidance acquisition was, was then Boston Scientific and one side was Abbott Vascular, but there were shared spaces. So there was a shared cafeteria and there was a shared gym. So basically, during that transition, you weren't allowed to talk work, talk shop at all while you were eating or exercising or in common areas. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh, that was very interesting. But I know that a lot of the, the guidance folks have they've formed such a big bond. And I'm, I, I still know so many former guidance people because of that bond and med tech women, I think was almost completely formed on, on the guidance um, alums. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great uh, legacy company, I think, that's really carried through in in many different regards. Absolutely. So what were you doing at Abbott and kind of what were you learning and how are you thinking about your career from there? So at Abbott, um, I worked under Raka Agrawal, who's a fantastic manager, and Leslie Stevens was the director. And I worked on guide wires, which if anyone has a chance to work on guide wires early in their career, it could be on the neurovascular side, or it could be on cardiovascular, peripheral vascular. It is a fantastic space to be because uh, customers are so passionate about guide wires. It's like the extension of your hands. It's That's the tool that gets you where you need to be. And you have a huge portfolio that you can work with. So, so many opportunities to launch products, iterate products. So as a product manager, 
in the International Guidewire Group. I had a ball and loved working with the engineering team and putting together all the specs and, you know, the tip profiles and the torque and everything like that. The not so sexy part of that was was actually as a result of the the guide into Abbott transition was all of the packaging and labeling <laughs> rebranded to Abbott. So there's like 20 plus guide wires that I had to work on on rebranding. Yeah. yeah. Volcano went through an acquisition and I was not on the rebranding team, but I know how much of a challenge it is and making sure that you kind of manage it well as new products are coming down too. And then also brand recognition. I learned so much about the Volcano brand and just how brand recognition happens in cath labs too at, at the yeah. same time. Yeah. You can't just change the the color scheme because you'll get a lot of upset customers who you think, oh, they don't care what, what this box looks like, but absolutely. And and so what happened next? <laughs> how- I don't know <laughs> because I had about seven different roles and 12 different managers when I was at Abbott. So it was it was fantastic because I had a chance to do global marketing on the coronary side. I did U.S. commercial marketing on the peripheral vascular side. And then I also did product development marketing, upstream marketing. And then finally, the, the last stage at Abbott was the working on the hospital administration administrative side, working with the administrators to come up with programs, calculators to, to prove the value of the products. So it was the whole gamut. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and kind of, can you tell me how you were thinking about each of the different experiences at Abbott and were you, this may sound weird, but were you kind of thinking about rounding yourself out uh, strategically or were there just like really cool opportunities and you, you just kind of had to get your hands in there? So it, it was uh, one, one theme in my career is I never want to be bored. So as soon as I felt as if here comes another year and I've already done this before, you know, just, it's a different name. It's slightly different look and feel. At that point, I start putting up my hand and asking for new challenges. So it was partly that, and it was partly because things were moving so quickly at Abbott Vascular, there were different needs, teams kept on changing. But I think the one that I really did ask for was to get exposure to the upstream marketing, new product development, because I really, I, I felt like that really went back to my roots at VentureCo in the startup environment, working closely with the engineer team and, and helping develop products from the ground up. Absolutely. So an amazing, I think six and a half, seven years you said at Abbott. And then and then how did you think about your transition from there? So I was open to new opportunities because quite frankly, after probably four or five years, I should have been looking earlier, but the teams that I worked with and the people I worked with were so fantastic that that I wasn't looking very actively. Plus I was at that time I was, you know, had young kids too. So I had gotten married the first year that I was at at Abbott and then, you know, by that point I had I had two kids. One was very young. But a recruiter called me <laughs> and usually I ignore recruiters, but this one said, "Hey, there's an exciting startup company. It's in Menlo Park." And my ears perked up at that point because I live in Menlo Park. <laughs> 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 and and so they put me in touch with with the Intersect ENT team, which was led by Lisa Earnhardt. Mm. Uh, Susan Stimson was the VP of marketing. So familiar names to you. Amazing female leadership 
and the perfect time to join the company. I think when I was interviewing, Susan said, oh, we're not sure what the next path of the startup company is. It could be that we get acquired. It could be that we go IPO. You know, so she was, she was kind of hedging. And then sure enough, I think a month after I joined, we went IPO. So I got to see the whole, <laughs> the whole transition from, from private to public and all the growth and excitement that happened with that company. But really, yeah, first it was the commute. <laughs> and then as I found out more about the, the company, it was the people that I interviewed with and the incredible opportunity and story of Intersect ENT. Yeah. Can you tell me more about the story of Intersect ENT and kind of the, the feeling of going IPO and, and all of that that comes with it? Absolutely. So Intersect ENT was interesting, especially coming from Abbott Vascular that was, you know, such a, such a big name with drug-eluting stents in the cardiovascular space. So Intersect ENT had been founded by you know, some folks who had exposure to the, the cardiovascular space with drug-eluting stents, but then they brought that technology to the, the sinus, sinus infection treatment area. So one major problem for people who have chronic sinus infections is that they might go and they get you know, they get this major surgery and then their symptoms come back six months, one year, two years down the road. There's a lot of scarring and, and everything that happens. So, but if you put a drug eluting stent that has a steroid on it, it actually vastly improves the recovery and, and the long-term effects of that surgery. So, so that was the, that was the thinking um, behind Intersect ENT. And, and no one had ever, there was, there was no competition in that space. And there still isn't really significant competition because they were, they were the first, they'd done tons of clinical research on it. So it was great to go from Abbott Vascular, which at that point, you know, you had all the major competitive players in the drug eluting stent market going to something where it's totally unique. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting, um, parallel you just drew of, you know, something that starts in one clinical development area of say cardiovascular, and then that same technology is used to treat, you know, other parts of your body. How, how do you think about that? And have you seen other instances of that? So I think that, you know, with all the very smart engineer, biodesign type of people running around that everyone is trying to think of if there's success in one part of the body to apply it to others. I mean, we definitely saw it with even on the, for the cardiovascular, I was applying drug eluting stents to the peripheral vascular area, mm -hmm. success there. So, so I think any smart company who has a patent in one area is going to look around as far as broadly as they can to try and see if there's an effect in other parts of the body. Yeah, absolutely. How was the feeling of going IPO like a month later after you joined? How did the company it change? <laughs> yeah, it was great. Lots of parties, <laughs> lots of swag, lots of parties. It was so Intersect TNT has a, a wonderful culture. And I think that it was, you know, there's so many years before I joined of that startup building the company experience. So it was a big celebration to have that milestone. One piece of advice I'd have is to try and follow growth or to sniff out growth in a company and join at that inflection point. Because with growth comes a lot of excitement, opportunities, not only for your career, 
but also, you know, for, for the company. And it's just generally a positive and inspiring kind of place to be. Yeah. I I definitely want to come back to, you know, startups, different stages of startups and large companies, but let's let's finish your story and and kind of take you to Aaron and tell me more about how you uh, decided to leave Intersect ENT and join Aaron and how things are going there. Yeah. So to, to finish up the story of Intersect, I was there for five years, actually. So the, the company supported me moving from downstream marketing to a, a totally new area for me, which was market development and practice marketing and patient marketing and digital marketing and sales training. And so I just, I just kept on having all of these new opportunities, which was fantastic. So I wasn't looking for a new opportunity, but Back to the the family side of things, my husband as a professor at Stanford, he was way, way overdue for a sabbatical. And we kind of took a pause. And even though my career was going really well, and so was his, we looked at our, you know, our kids at the ages of eight and 10 and thought, you know, pretty soon they're going to be old enough that they're not going to, they're going to be involved in activities and they're not going to want to do things with us. Uh, from what I hear as kids get older. So we thought it was the perfect opportunity to take a international sabbatical. So we went for six months to Cambridge in England and just moved the family over there. So, <laughs> so that's how I left Intersect ENT, but no regrets. That's amazing. How was England? I have some family that lives in Bristol and in London, but not Cambridge. I think it was, it was, fantastic because we were able to put the kids into the primary school. So they actually got the whole British experience. They started even having little British accents at the end. <laughs> but it was funny because the first day of school, my son was um, was talking to one of his friends and he said, oh, you have, you have the funniest American accent. And, and my son said, what do you mean? I don't have an accent. You have an accent. So it was like that whole... <laughs> You know, just changing the lens for us, I think, was so important. Going international and then just taking advantage of traveling around Europe. We went to Ireland. We went to Amsterdam. It was, it was, it was really great to just have that family experience. And good timing, it turned out, because we came back and then it was boom, right into the pandemic. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we came back from England and then one month later, everything was shut down. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Perfect timing. Exactly. Not really, but <laughs> when is it ever good timing to have a pandemic? I don't know. Well, perfect timing that you made it back before yeah. everything shut down and you were stranded in, in England for indefinite period of time. Absolutely. Yeah. Never, never so grateful to be um, home in the Bay Area, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, how did you? decide to join Aaron and how's it been working fully remote um, and joining a company during the pandemic? It's, you know, it's been a lot easier than I thought it would be at the beginning joining Aaron. So the, again, I wasn't necessarily looking for a full-time position. I was doing independent consulting and pretty happy with that flexibility especially during the pandemic, especially with no childcare and you know, kids yeah. 
by default on the screen and the mom guilt of, you know, putting them on the screen. So all of that, that we, we all went through, but I got a call from Matt Brokaw, who's the CEO of Aaron, and he had recently joined. And I think he remembered me from a time that we had coffee at Cafe Baroni together. Lisa Earnhardt had introduced us. He was heading up marketing at another ENT company. And we just, we were having a conversation about patient outreach marketing and just, just having that conversation. And so he also lives in Menlo Park and we just, we bonded over that, but then, you know, fast forward a couple of years at least. And then out of the blue, he called me and asked if I'd be interested um, in considering joining the Aaron team. That's amazing. Actually. Yeah. We totally skipped over consulting. How did you think about consulting or was this around the same time that you were thinking about the sabbatical and thought, you know, Hey, I can help companies. Yeah. Well, it was, um, during the sabbatical, I actually, I didn't do too much consulting and quite honestly, I mean, I've been working for, you know, over 20 years. So it was, it was good to just take a little break, but I did do some projects and some former people that I had worked with reached out and gave me some projects to work on, which was great. And, but even just from those few projects, I did realize that it wasn't, I wasn't as passionate about it because I didn't feel as connected to the teams and team is so, so important, even if it's a remote team on zoom, but you do over time build those, those bonds. So, so I loved the, the flexibility was able to work remotely wherever, but I think that's why when Matt Brokaw called me, I really listened and perked up and thought, oh, wow, this, this company is at a great time. They're building their marketing team. This actually sounds like something that I would really enjoy. Yeah, that's amazing. I know I've thought about consulting at some point in my career too, and, and I struggle with the same concept of I, I, I want to be involved in a awesome team and an awesome mission. And I can't just do my little project and and walk away. (laughs) Absolutely. A few questions I have are what, what does somebody in your opinion need to be successful at say a startup um, versus a larger company, maybe in terms of like personality traits or even skills? It's a great question. I would say the people that, that are the most successful are the ones that are, gosh, it's, it sounds so trite, the, the roll up your sleeves mentality, able to do every, you know, wear all the hats, but it is so true. I mean, that that's on the job descriptions of almost every company, but especially at a startup company, you do need to be able to multitask and be able to pick up different projects at once, not just focus on one at a time and get really in depth with that one project. And there's also you know, you're rewarded more for that ability to pivot and multitask and be able to be successful with it. Whereas I think some people in larger companies really enjoy the process. They're going to make sure that whatever, whatever comes out at the end of the project is it's a hundred percent, you know, it's been analyzed by multiple tiers, multiple levels, and it's been tested maybe by outside agencies and inside, you know, and it takes a lot longer, but then the result is amazing. Whereas the type of person who would enjoy and be successful at a startup company is someone who um, is creative and has ideas and appreciates when people say, that's a great idea. 
why don't you run with it? <laughs> Come back to us and give us your proposal and yeah. we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. Having been at Philips and, and now at Ablative Solutions, I've kind of seen similar things. I know I signed up for one job and I know I'm doing a few others. Uh, so I, I think that that really echoes. Can you tell me more about how you think about, you know, quote unquote, when is the best time to join and how do you sniff out that, that growing company? Because I think you said, you know, for Intersect ENT and even Aaron, it was, you know, the perfect time to join. How, how do you figure that out? I mean, I, I just lucked out with, uh, with Intersect ENT to join when I did, but I think that as you grow your network or as you're looking around to smaller companies to see what stage they're at, you know, an indicator for Aaron Medical is they just hired a new CEO, they just hired a new VP of marketing. Networking is always always a great way to do that. It's just just to ask around which companies people are joining. And for me, the point of growth that I like to join a company is when, well, obviously that they have some marketing, um, have a product on the market or soon to launch on the market is uh, is, a, is a great time to join for me. But other people might want to join earlier stage, right, to really participate in the product development, kind of like, you know, where you're at now. So yeah, I think it really is is such an interesting opportunity in, in each regard, because I think at the five people, you know, seed round, it's a lot of we don't know if this is going to work, but we have a cool idea. I mean, maybe we have prototypes and maybe we have, you know, an idea of what the pathway looks like. And then depending on if you need clinical studies or if it's, you know, a, a more of a 510k, it, it really depends on the pathway. And then I, I like what you said in terms of, you know, joining either when they have a product on market or ready to go for, marketing, uh, I think functions specifically is a great time to join because then you get to really launch that product and, and impact all of the sales growth, all of the um, growth for the company too. Absolutely. Yeah. And so this might be a loaded question, um, but which do you prefer uh, in terms of large or, or uh, startup companies? So it might be different in the future, obviously, but for now, I'm really, really loving the, the startup environment. So I, I just find it personally very fulfilling. I love the energy and, you know, sometimes it's hectic energy, but especially if you have a great team working with you and you're able to laugh and have fun at the same time, then that, that really is what gets me going is the team and, and the growth opportunity in terms of just spreading the word about great technology. So that's, that's kind of one of my passions is on the patient marketing side, you know, I, I see that there's so many people out there who could benefit from this technology and make their lives better. And they have no idea. They have no idea that it exists. They don't know what an otolaryngologist is. So there's a lot of opportunity in, in the current company to really spread the word and improve patient lives. So if you can find a company like that, then then you're golden. Yeah. And I think, sorry, a little detour. How are you thinking about patient marketing in, you know, the 2021 age of, you know, 
WebMD? I mean, it sounds like an old question, but I feel like as people haven't really been seeing their physicians, as people are doing a lot more internet research, personally, I feel like patient marketing is even more important now, more so than before. I totally agree. I think patient marketing is, it used to be that physician marketing was where marketing should spend most of its effort. And now I think what we're discovering is physician marketing can only get you so far. And then at some point you need to activate the awareness of patients, especially if it's new technology. And there's so many different ways that you could do that. You could do it obviously through digital marketing is one that a lot of people are exploring. You can go as far as having you know, influencers and patient awareness or focus groups. But if you're patient marketing and your digital presence isn't up to snuff, then, you know, you're setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. Cause the first thing anybody does as they hear about something new is let me Google that and let me see, you know, what their website is, what the product looks like and, you know, all of that. Dr. Google. Absolutely. We're actually using Facebook uh, for our clinical study to do a lot of, you know, quote unquote, patient recruitment and maybe eventually patient marketing. But it's really interesting to see the types of filters and things that you need to do to, to get the, get to the right patients. Yeah, I think the for especially for clinical trial recruitment, Facebook is perfect. So we've done that before with a lot of success. What's interesting is that when you then turn on to, you go away from the clinical trial recruitment and do more patient awareness with a product on market, then you need to deal with the, okay, the people that are seeing this Facebook ad, are they really qualified? Who are they? Do they have the right insurance? Are they going to have crazy comments on social media? So you have to be constantly monitoring for that. Yeah, right now we have secondary screeners that go through and screen all of those patients. But yeah, if you don't have those and they're talking to their physician like, oh, I heard about this thing or they're, you know, trying to find a physician. (laughs) Oh, I heard about this thing. So I can see how that could be even more complicated and, and a challenging problem to solve. Shifting gears into mentorship and leadership, can you tell me more about who you turn to for inspiration and or mentorship? There are so many people, I think, as we reflect back on our career progression. But I think really when I look at that transition going to Intersect ENT, first of all, I was really floored by just the incredible amount of female leadership that was there. So Lisa Earnhardt as the CEO, um, half of the C-suite was female, including the CFO, which was incredible. Um, Lisa was an inspiration for her style of leadership. I think sometimes we look at female leadership and think that needs to be almost like a male leadership style Mm -hmm. for her. Investors loved her. Employees loved her. She had a great approachable, direct kind of casual style. But at the same time, when she wanted something to get done, she definitely kicked butt and got it done. Um, Also, Susan Stimson, the VP of Marketing, Um, was really inspirational to me and supported me throughout my time at Intersect and even um, has served as a mentor throughout decisions, um, even going to Erin Medical, for instance. So really appreciate her mentorship along the way. And then then also Maria Elena Smith, who is my hiring manager at Intersect ENT. I'm really grateful to her for 
opening up doors for me, um, which is what you look for in a mentor is not, not just giving advice, but also, you know, impactful, actionable advice. And um, she enabled me to go from downstream marketing to patient and market development, um, which I'd never done before. So I was able to do that. And then when Maria Elena had the opportunity to completely switch gears, and she became this amazing travel photographer after a trip to Antarctica, um, she left the company, but she really opened the door for me. She didn't um, just leave. She made sure that the company was giving me the opportunity to step into that role, prove myself. Um, so I really appreciate her for that. That's awesome. She kind of um, served as both a mentor and a sponsor, right? Uh, in that regard. Exactly. Yeah, which is great. And a, a true friend. I just saw her actually a couple of days ago. We celebrated our belated birthdays together. So we continue to stay in touch on all levels. That's awesome. And um, how was your transition into Aaron and kind of like how was working with the team there? So Aaron, in terms of, and specifically for mentorship, I think, honestly, that's why I joined Aaron. Um, so I, I heard about Natalie Schlafman, who is my, my manager, the VP of marketing at Aaron. And she is another person who is completely approachable, gets things done, um, really values family and the team. And so we just were always in sync there. And I really appreciated especially when she was um, interviewing me and trying to see if I wanted to come over. I just appreciated her flexibility and recognition that it was a big transition at the time from working part-time doing independent consulting to contemplating going diving back full-time in, into a startup. For sure. Yeah. You kind of need that balance <laughs> um, and you kind of need <laughs> that like understanding and whoever you're going to work with. Right. Absolutely. And it was just, uh, it, it was even just that understanding and having her talk me through that, that really allowed me to say, this is, this is the place that I want to be, this is the person I want to work with. And then once I got into the role and started working, you know, the, the, all of the things that I valued in terms of flexibility and that kind of lifestyle kind of went out the window as you just get really wrapped up into the, um, into the team and, and the opportunity. Yeah, you're enjoying work, right? <laughs> and so you're you're yes. figuring it out as you go, but you're you're definitely enjoying work, and it's all about the people that you're working with um, at the same time. Totally, especially when you're on Zoom all the time with folks, it really is. It's all about the people and the relationships that you're able to maintain. I'm going to shift over to the three parting questions. So as we are getting close to the end of our time here, I have three parting questions that I ask every speaker. And the first one is, what is your greatest leadership superpower and how have you honed it? All right. So the greatest leadership superpower, I don't know if you'd call it a superpower, but I am pretty well known to stay calm under pressure. So that is something that anyone that works with me knows that it's kind of unflappable. I don't really freak out very easily. So I'd say the superpower would be the ability to stay calm under pressure, but knowing when to pull the ripcord and call an audible on a situation. So how, and- how have you honed that and how have you <laughs> figured that out? <laughs> Uh, so I think honestly, it's just, it's a personality trait, but I think maybe it does come back to, to all of the 
kind of like adrenaline sports that I've done over my lifetime. So I am a scuba diver, um, a big time alpine um, skier, former racer. And actually, when I was at Ventrica, I really got into skydiving. So, so all of those, I think, are great ways to really to be able to focus under pressure and not let distractions interrupt what you need to do. Okay, I have to ask, what is your craziest adventure story then? <laughs> <laughs> the the craziest adventure story is it's probably so when I mentioned skydiving, it was, you know, I went I went on one of the tandem skydives as a it was a birthday gift and I, I did the jump out of the plane strapped to someone and it was fun, but I decided that, Hey, I really want to do this myself. I want to, I want to feel like what it really feels like to fly and be able to control my own movement in the sky. And so I signed up for the, the, the classes that enable you to do that. So, and then on my 13th jump, it was a Friday on my 13th jump by myself, I opened up the my parachute and it was a jumbled mess over my head. I don't know if I've told you the story. It was a jumbled Oh my mess. god. I was thrown into a flat spin and I was spinning around so it was it was so hard to even think but I focused, you know, calmed myself down even though I was plummeting to my death and <laughs> pulled the emergency, you know, the rip cord to get to release the the messed up parachute and the big beautiful emergency parachute opened above me. So so I don't know if that, that was all within like actually around 35 to, to maybe 60 seconds, right? Oh yeah, a jump a free fall jump lasts 60 seconds. Yeah. So so yes, that was that all happened very quickly. Um but the crazy story is that I came back the next day after that experience. And then I continued to do 350 skydives <laughs> after. So that was, that was kind of the crazy story is, uh, I don't know, jumping back in the plane to do something afterwards. So if you really love something, you know, you have to acknowledge that, that there's risk with it. But uh, that was, that's, that's amazing. I've, I've done a few skydives and I've jumped off cliffs and it's funny you say that you still go back the next day because I totally do too. <laughs> and it's just, okay. yeah, you, you just want to like, you either make it better or you're just like, oh, this is amazing. And just such a fun experience. And you just crave more <laughs> as you keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I think that, you know, going back to Kind of like on the career side, I think there's some sometimes when there's a there's an emergency, it seems like the end of the world, right? And your heart's beating really quickly, but the ability to just be able to calm down, see through that, know whether to, you know, soothe the waters or to to pull the ripcord and start fresh. So I think all of that kind of translates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a really, really good skill. And I, I think it's definitely a superpower. <laughs> <laughs> being able to stay calm as you're falling from the sky. Yes. So second question, what advice would you have for, you know, other women and other or other professionals that aspire to be in leadership positions? So my advice is that when you have a new opportunity, if it's something that you want to do, go wholeheartedly into it. Don't just do the assignment, the onboarding, 
go beyond that and really show curiosity about what's important with this project. Think beyond just the project parameters. Meet with other people who are involved, even peripherally, and ask them what they do and how they're involved with the project. And through that, I think people recognize people who are going above and beyond and bringing new ideas to the table rather than people that are just doing their job. 100%. Ironically, that's how I've met so many people that are either outside of my team or outside of whoever I'm supposed to be working with, because you kind of have to, you know, do that extra mile and, and figure out, you know, provide more value in terms of what you're working on. All right. Last question. Who is your role model and, and why do you think they've made an important impact on you? So my, my paternal grandfather was a congressman in Illinois, so in the, the U.S. House of Representatives, and Republican. What's interesting is that he, uh, during the Watergate scandal for Nixon, wow. found himself in a position where he did not necessarily agree with his party in terms of, you know, did Nixon do the right thing or was he lying? And so my grandfather actually was um, on the committee and wrote one of the articles of impeachment for Nixon. So I think that 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 kind of like example of leadership and being able to, even when there's incredible pressure to stand up and do the right thing, I think has been a really great story that's passed down in our family and and one that I'm I'm very proud of, you know, to have in our family history. Yeah. Wow. Standing up and, and being able to say I'm not supporting my president, my president is, my is president. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm I'm guessing that carries over to every big and small thing in your life too of like, is this the right thing to do? If it's not, then you know, let's say that and let's face whatever needs to be happening. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, really have to, to sometimes just listen to your gut. And there's so many external pressures in terms of you have to do it this way. This is what's going to drive the business. But ultimately, you really respect the people that stand up and say, hey, let's let's think about this. You know, is this the right thing to do? And if you do the right thing, then people will respect you and good things typically will follow. Yeah. Honestly, as your parachute, um, <laughs> it'll all work out in the end as a, you know, terrible cliche, but yeah. <laughs> well, Basie, it's been great talking to you, getting to know you um, through the podcast. And um, I've, I've learned a lot about, you know, startups, skydiving and, and everything in between. It was my pleasure, Vishali. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I look forward to seeing you hopefully in person. Thanks for listening to MedTech Stories. Make sure you follow us on LinkedIn and subscribe to get the latest episode on medtechstories.com or wherever you get your podcasts.